0: Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and also your host. Happy Hanukkah to you all. Thanks so much for joining me today on this episode. And at the end of this episode, I will share with you uh, a write-up to my new music video that we just released this week. Also, as a reward for listening to the end of the episode, I will have something very special for you waiting at the end. And I'd like to publicly thank everyone who helped me with this video, including Chris Cole from Dynamic Motion Pictures and Hill Kapnick, 12 Keys, all the people who helped me with the music, the video, the production, the actors, the vision, the editing and of course the Jewish Press for doing a story on me. I will be in the Jewish Press this week in the print version and I will post links online when they are live online. One last thank you to Miriam Grunhaus for Mika Fashion. I will talk more about her at the end of the episode. I'm so excited to share with you that I am now offering a music production online course for a select few and we have a few more spots available. If you are interested in taking your music production skills to the next level and building your own studio, please reach out. I'd love to chat with you and see if my program is the right fit for you. And without further ado, here's the show. Welcome back to the show, everyone.
1: If this is your first time, we hope you enjoy this episode with Sheila Meyer from California. She is a dance studio owner and an entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Sheila. It is so great to have you here today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really
1: excited to be on the show today. So let's just dive right in and tell us a little bit about your background and how you started with your passion for dance. And I know it did not start in LA, so you could take it from here. All right. So
2: when I was a little girl, my mom signed me up for a dance class just like anybody else's mom when they're six years old, you know, their friends were doing it. And, um, and I just ended up loving it. Like I love the entire experience. I loved meeting kids from different schools. I loved like going to my friend's house after school and like putting on our leotards and having snack and going. And I love the teacher and, um, it was just something that I really, really enjoyed, and I stuck with it. And I know some people, they don't stick with things, but it was just always my passion. So I stuck with it, and um, and uh, this is in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, by the way. So they didn't have any like Jewish uh, programs for girls. It was just a regular dance studio, and... Um, it was like a sweet southern feel like my dance teacher made us like reindeer candy canes for christmas or we she'd give out halloween stuff and like she really like incorporated the holidays and stuff and she kind of built like a little community that was like our studio and like the friendships and and I loved it and I loved the performances I remember when I was a little girl, everybody around me was, like, nervous backstage, and I just remember feeling the adrenaline and, like, excited, like, looking up at the stage curtains and, like, the real excitement, Um, and, and, like, those memories and moments are things that have motivated me to
1: create that experience for Orthodox Jewish girls. So the one you went to wasn't Jewish, obviously. Yeah, they had nothing like that. Yeah. So there were challenges. There were
2: a lot of challenges. The first challenge was that the performance was on Shabbos. And my family, I always went to a from school. My family is about chub, are about chuvas So um, so when I was younger, I would make that compromise, even though I knew what was the right thing to do. And we kept Shabbos, but I couldn't miss my dance recital. And so I was very torn. And, um, and then eventually I had to go look for another studio, um, because I, I really wanted to perform. So that was, that was a challenge for me. And, um, the second challenge was modesty. You know, I, I, so, I switched to another studio, and the performances were during the week, and it was great. And um, I made lots of friends there. And sure enough, I come out with this really unsneeze costume, and there's a from guy in the audience in the front row there to watch his three year old daughter. And I, it just hit me that moment
1: like, I can't do this anymore. And how old were you at the time? Mm.
2: <laughs> oh. 14, 15, it was maybe 14. You know, I was like a teenager and we see each other in shul and I'm like perfectly modest and here I'm wearing, you know, a dance costume. So I felt like, you know, I need to, I really, really wanted to give that same warm experience and like even just every week practicing and like looking forward to something and working on skills and like the end of the year performance, like it does wonders. It did wonders for my confidence, you know? Um, and so I wanted to give that to other kids and I'm like a natural Mora. Like that was my other option is like being a teacher. And so I kind of did both. So that's, that's how, that's how like my my ch- that was like my childhood dream, but how did it come about? Um, I had just graduated from college. I have a degree in psychology, and I moved back home. And one of my neighbors said, "Could you teach my daughter how to dance?" And so I started with that girl and her friends.
1: And how did she know you
2: danced? Um, they're just my neighbors, so they know. Yeah. And they're or friends, you know, I mean, besides the fact that I'm uh, grew up twirling in the halls at school, like I even see my rebellion sometimes, like when I go back home and they're like, I totally understand that you have a dance studio because we could not stop you pirouetting down the halls, you know, <laughs> so a little embarrassing, but it's funny, you know, <laughs> so so that's how it built up. I started with one class, another year, another class, and that was four years in Atlanta. So, And then I moved to L.A., and then I just started when I got here promoting my business
1: and meeting people. And So let me stop you there. Did your move to L.A. have anything to do with your passion for the arts, or was that completely not related? Completely not related. I was...
2: 25 and not married yet. Um, and I, I was at a wedding of my friend and then there was this nice guy from LA. Meanwhile, I had always told my parents, LA is too far. <laughs> you know, don't take me to LA. I don't want to live in LA. Then never say never. Cause so that's what happened. So we moved across country, um, after the dance recital, of course, cause, I wasn't going to leave my students mid year. And um, as soon as we got here, it started. I started a camp. It was the summer. I had a camp. And then it went from there.
1: So, when you talk about your dance recitals in your studio, do you perform in them as well, or is it just for the students?
2: It's just for the students. Our program is mostly geared towards kids and teens, um, we have, so we have done, um, a, we have done a women's performance. We, we started this ballet company, it's called Yaha Dance Ensemble. um, and it was with the help of one of my dance teachers who, um, who moved from New York and she was a professional ballerina who became religious. And um, she brought like a very strong element of ballet technique to our studio. And we thought that we would do some ballet performances um, with Jewish concepts. So she choreographed the whole thing. It was a f- We did a few performances. One was called um, The Spirit of Shabbos. So each piece was choreographed to another element of Shabbos. And it was really beautiful, magnificent. Um, And the other one was about the women of Tanakh. And it was amazing. Shetel ladies, Tzniah's costumes. It was really beautiful.
1: So we have the dance studio. We have the ballet company. Just tell me a little bit about how those different businesses work. I'll try to compare. We've had dance studio owners on the show before in different communities. And I think LA might be more unique because it's in in our environment and culture to begin with. And there might be differences here that we might want to bring up. Okay. Speaking back to that. So we have Yachar, which is the women's ballet company. So what does that look like? Yeah. So, well, that's kind of
2: been on hold for the last few years. We have thought about bring it, bringing it back. But our studio, the other part of our studio really grew last year, like double. So our energies were all, you know, focused on that. But how it did work was a, it's also, it's not for profit. So all of the proceeds do benefit an organization. And um, each year we, no, this is the, um, the yachad. Yeah. We chose, each year we chose like an organization that was like important to us. Um, And then, and then the regular studio is, it's, it's for a profit, but really how much money do you make running a dance studio? I mean, that's how it is. It's like so much work. I literally work 50 hours a week. You know, it's like a second family and any dance studio owner, Jewish, non-Jewish, wherever, we're all in the same boat, you know, even recital time. I think I spent 100 hours creating our um, studio's playbill with a graphic designer. We like to do a very professional playbill, full color. Um, The parents put ads in. It's really, it's
1: really cool. Okay, so we have those two separate programs. And then let's talk about how you doubled in the last year or so and then at the same time you said how how much profit could you make out of a dance studio so can you please put things into perspective for anyone listening I'm sure they're everyone's curious as much as I am okay so my philosophy is that everybody
2: should be able to dance so I keep my costs I keep my prices very low that's one thing you know um I even lower than other schools, because I want people to be able to access it. And because I know that everybody has private school tuition, food, LA rent, LA mortgages, you know, so I really try to keep that down. So I don't charge enough. That's the truth. Um, and then there's a lot of overhead. Like I have all of our teachers are professional dancers. So, you know, you, you know, you have to pay them professional dancer rates. Um, Another thing about that is that um, we're very focused on technique. So it's not just like you're coming in, you're having fun, you're learning some twirling. Like we're really committed to like teaching real skills. And so that's why we have to have professional teachers versus some girl who took tap class twice and is now a tap teacher, you know. So, so that's that. And then I really do everything by the books. You know, sometimes people will like not claim cash, whatever. Like I have insurance, I have liability, I have all sorts of business stuff, rents. And so it's a legitimate business and it's hard in a legitimate business to make too much profit. Especially if
1: you're undercharging.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but I feel like that's my philosophy. And, and also like when you're in, I see this cause I'm part of this dance studio owner group on Facebook and it's amazing. You get support from everybody's always going through the same things, you know? And so they also, it's the same for them. You know, it's like,
1: it's really hard to turn a profit, you know? It's very true. Uh, it brings up my conversation with Rifka Nahari and with Michelle Penn a lot also. I heard Rifka Nahari's I liked hers. We had Raquel Arise also. A very common theme. I, I'd like to hear about the differences that the LA community might bring to a dance studio versus a dance studio in New York or Silver Spring or Jerusalem. What would you say is unique to your market?
2: So I would say, well, also because I did come from Atlanta, Georgia, so I knew what it was like there. And I even considered starting something there. Um, And I think that there is a level of professionalism that is expected here that um, may not be in other cities because... We are so saturated with the arts everywhere you look. And, it, for example, the base Yaakov here, I don't know how much their budget is for performance, but they rent a very expensive theater, very expensive lighting, sound. It's, they really raise the bar. And I think it's because we're in L.A. And so I can't do, like, a little dinky performance, you know, So we really have to do the real thing. And I think it's actually great for kids to be able to experience that. You know, we have professional lighting and sound and stage managers. And there are people like who work, you know, in the professional industries here. That's also the cool part. Everything is so accessible. I pick up my backdrop from, from the warehouse like, whereas other places, you know, they have to have it shipped. And I literally go, I, I it's, it's, like, so fun. I sit, so, um, so we just have a lot more here. And I feel like we have to, that's what brings it up. But there's also another element that um, is interesting, um, that I've noticed, because I have spoken to other dance studio owners in Jerusalem and, and different parts of the country. I feel like because L.A.
1: is, I'll say the word, not SNEAS, right? It's. I was just going <laughs> to ask you that next, but you, you cut me out. So go ahead. Let's talk about this. So because you're also in L.A., you're dealing with a lot more competition in terms of getting the attention of your students and making this as attractive as any other program in L.A., and you're competing with billboards you're competing with other kids going to auditions every day hypothetically i don't know what life is like in la honestly i haven't been there but i'm assuming the peer pressure and the accessibility and the access to to that arts culture is a lot more and when you open up a dance studio it has to be attractive to a young from girl and it needs to look not just attractive but you have to appeal to that This is just as good, if not better, for your Jewish soul. So you have double of a mission. You're not just providing your service. You're competing for Jewish souls, for future Jewish mothers, and uh, saving their form of expression and providing something on a level that will satisfy them because of the exposure they have. So it's a lot of different things, but I'll, I'll let you comment on this. Yeah. So the exposure is
2: a challenge, I think. And I think that um, it's very hard to shelter your kids, you know, because they're exposed to so much out there in general. It's a big city, you know. Um, You literally walk out the door and see homeless people. And it's just it's 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 a different lifestyle than a small Town, you know, so I think people shelter their kids more than like even in Jerusalem. You know, I think that people have to be more cautious about the arts because it's in your face, you know, all the billboards and things like that. So I try to make it appealing because I try to create a sense of community for, and this is something that I. I learned last year, like a little bit. Another thing is that I feel like I'm con. My studio is constantly evolving. I think that's an important piece for any business owner. You can't stay stagnant because it's boring. You have to keep your audience captive at all times with new activities. You have to have your hand on the, you know, on the pulse to see what's exciting now what are kids into now you can't be rigid in what you have decided you want your mission to be it changes it flows based on what's going on and so last year I I came up with this thing that like we're a dance studio and I've noticed beautiful things about like Kids have their dance friends. Like We have so many different schools, so many different schools, so many different different communities. And something that I noticed is that at the end of the year in our performances, you see everybody from the city, from the valley, from Pico Robertson, everywhere, everybody come together for one performance. And that inspired me. And I'm like, this is our community and we're coming together through the arts. And I've also seen friendships. Like I see my students have their dance friends, like how I had my dance friends. And um, I have a group of teenagers that like a few Shabbases ago, six of them from five different schools had a little tone. Wow. And they all met through dance class. And I was like, this is amazing, you know? Nachas. So I know. So, so I started bringing in some like Jewish elements, you know, like my teacher and her reindeer candy canes. So like, I always make little Hanukkah treats. I make them myself, no matter how busy I am. It's the little things that mean something to people, you know? So I started doing a Hanukkah party. I did a Purim comedy night Um, And like, we all come together, not only through classes or stressed out rehearsals or performances, but also to just like have fun together, you know, through dance. So I feel like that. Yeah. So I feel like that has built um, a little
1: bit of a a community
2: in our studio. For
1: sure. And I love how you said that it brings everyone together. It's something that's important. Anyone listening and Wondering why do we care so much about the arts, which I hope we are able to explain over all these episodes and finding so many women who are so passionate and who are struggling day to day just because of the understanding that this is so important and it's not something we suppress for Jewish women and girls. The understanding of there is emergency emergency Judaism and then there's wellness Judaism, which is something I was sort of tweaking and Shoshana keats jaskel formulated it for me. We're in the wellness of Judaism. We're we're not dealing with anti-Semitism or all these other issues that concern Jewish women or the Jewish identity or the Jewish crisis. We're talking about post-post-war where we have beautiful communities. We have so much going on. Women need to express themselves because, and girls need to express themselves. And we need to create the Jewish proper environments for that to happen on a professional level and attractive level. So so I love how you said you, you when you think about it it's when do Jews come together when there's an attack or when there's threats or if someone God forbid is ill or dies right when we're fundraising for to, to him, that's what and then to you Hillen. say everyone comes yeah. together for this performance so it's I wouldn't say it's as important maybe I would say that I just don't want to offend anyone but I would say it could have the same effect. And it could bring people together in the same bond as Terrible Things brings Jews together, which makes this an extremely important cause. So I feel like it's important for me to say this. Maybe it's important for you to hear this and for all of you out there listening. And transitioning into the next topic, I and I love to talk about modesty and sneas and how that affects your studio. I'm just curious, Do you do you have girls coming out and saying, you know, why can't we have our costumes just a little bit like this or just more do you have any of these types of issues or does everyone just accept all the rules that you have and no one questions anything well I just don't like denying that this topic doesn't come across anyone's mind and that everyone just takes everything the way it's given yeah so sometimes I have that but
2: I it's women only performances so I I'm a little bit liberal. I, I do go with modest, but I will always put girls in pants for gymnastics. And I actually have sometimes people who don't like my costumes, like they feel like it's pants. Why can't we have a skirt over it? You know, so that's the kind of a struggle that we have. Not that. Oh, so people think you're not from enough. Right. Yeah. Sometimes. And sometimes we have kids are like, no, I don't want to wear a shell under that. I want to, you know, I, I want to just wear it. It's only women. Why do I have to wear a long sleeve shell under my, my tutu dress? Um, and so, so I, you know, I've learned to tiptoe a little bit and, and better, better with caution because you don't want to insult anyone or hurt anyone. Um, but yeah, but I do have some times where kids are like, no, why do we have that? You know, but I do it on an individual basis. Also, I will, I will not be, um, I will not be uh, like afraid to like ask for parents input. I can, I will send them a few options of costumes, even though I'm busy, even though I have like 40 classes to deal with and, you know, 60 sets of costumes, but I think, I think it's important to, to be respectful to the community. And I I do try to push it as much as I can, because I don't want the kids to feel, um, stifled or, or negative that they're from girls, you know? So as long as it's within halacha, which it is, it's only women, um, then, then I think it's okay. And, and you win some, you lose some, and that's with any business. Like, I think, and I have some friends here that do the same thing, and they're like, there's always one person who hates your show. No matter what, no matter how hard you work, there's one person that hates it. And, and I've come to terms with that. It's been 15 years, it's been more. It's, for me, it's been 20 years of being a dance studio owner. And there's always going to be somebody who does that. And it's okay. And you have to be okay with it.
1: Okay, so you brought up business and I'm curious to hear what you think. I know yoga studios, their model very often having classes and paying for the teachers and the rent and whatever other expenses, overhead expenses they have. A lot of them start these teacher training programs to create more stream of income in addition to creating oh. teachers that they can afford. There's that double-sided benefit. So I'm wondering if this at all can be taken into dance because oh. it's not a regulated industry. You don't have to have 15 years. There's not. There's no specific requirement necessarily to be a licensed dance teacher. Right. Uh, so there's there's no regulation, if I'm correct. There's only the standard and the prestige and all that societal norms that came about. So I'm wondering, is this something that can be translated? I know a lot of studio owners struggle with, you know, you need these high-quality teachers and, right. and you can't fill up your classes. What if, is this a model that can be translated into dance studios? Yeah, so for me, I'm so old-fashioned.
2: Like, I feel like I would rather somebody who has more experience, you know, um, like somebody who, who went through the program, you know, themselves. So they know what, what, uh, you know, what being a kid in a dance studio is not just, not just a little quick teacher training where you learn how to do skills. But another thing that people might, I've seen done is that people do franchises you know, they'll franchise their business and then they have other people who buy it and they're making money off of that,
1: um, which is cool. And what would be the benefit of franchising other than starting their own from scratch?
2: Support,
1: experience,
2: um, you know, somebody who, who's done a million trials and errors and knows what works and what doesn't. and then um, yeah, things like that. But I'm totally not one to do that. (laughs) I'm too much of a control freak. I'm not like OCD, but when it comes to my business, I, I feel like I have
1: a level. It's your name on the line.
2: It's your brand. Yeah. And it's like, and it's somebody's child. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like an innocent, pure kid who's like, coming to learn dance. Like if you don't teach them to straighten their knees, they will hurt themselves. You know, like it really has to be like done right professionally. There are risks, you know, if, and you want to make sure that the quality is, is, you know, what you're working towards. That's not saying that my business is perfect, that we don't make mistakes,
1: but like my hashkafa is that, you know, my philosophy. Speaking of mistakes, are there any few offhand things you could mention and share with us? So yes. Okay.
2: There's always mistakes. So what happened was, um, this was about in 2010, I think it was 2010. So it was our biggest year yet. And, um, I rented this huge theater 600 seats, professional theater. We're like really growing. And we had, um, so I don't know if I mentioned, but we also do, we do dance and we do acting. So we do like acting, singing and dance and, and like hip hop, ballet. And we also do gymnastics. So at the end of the year, everybody comes together within the framework of a musical and they do a performance. So We were doing Alice in Wonderland and um, the microphones failed, failed. It was the biggest nightmare. It was all these kids who worked a whole entire year. And if you watch the video, the girls like. And it was like you could just and we kept trying to fix it. And it wouldn't fix. And I didn't have the right instructor in place to be able to fix it. And so parts of the show were not heard. And people were so angry. And I lost half of my studio. Half. The director, one of the directors who was working for me, and she was like on Broadway. Okay, so she's really professional. She's like, I almost retired after that show because I was
1: so broken So that's a huge... So what happened? How could have that been avoided? Like, what do professionals do when this happens to them? Like Broadway?
2: Okay, so what would we do now, right? Okay, so now I have a teacher who would stop the show and say, ladies and gentlemen, we are having technical issues. Please stand by while we resolve them, you know? And it was not our fault because the tech and the sound came with the theater, and the theater hired their students. It was it was a high school locally. And they had their students who were not equipped to be running this. So what I would have done differently, you know, if I am myself how I am now, I, I wouldn't have stood for that. I would have brought in professionals and said, I need professionals because it could be a mistake. Um, and then... What happened was I had to fire my staff of the few people who are working on the acting part and I had to hire new people and we had to recreate,
1: recreate our program again. And it was very hard. You fired them because you had no money to keep going and you had to restructure or because no, no, because you just, you have to start fresh
2: after something like that. You know, it's a really big mistake. You know, and and I of course had to offer some scholarships to get some people back. Um, and then the next year show was great. It just was a, the tiniest playbill we ever had. <laughs> and 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 you know, from that I also learned like you can't give up because that was a terrible, terrible thing. And like you might be tempted to be like, that's it. I can't do this anymore. But you have to persevere and you have to say, it was humiliating too. Like I couldn't walk out the door, you know, everyone's like looking at me like, oh my gosh. But you have to, you know, swallow your pride and start over and it's okay. And, and thank God people gave us
1: another chance as time went on. I'm just surprised that, that that was the reaction and, I would think if it's a children's program and technical issues are technical issues, I I was expecting you said somebody had a medical injury from your class and sued you and you had to start all over from there. Oh no! Thank God, we have insurance. Insurance, but our parents more understanding. <laughs> Everyone should have
2: insurance. Yeah. so some of them were, but. I don't know. Like if, really, is that enough to really throw I mean, you into some people went. Some people were understanding and some people were not. But imagine they paid so much money for class a whole year. The kids dedicated so much time to rehearsing and and like to to have some people not be heard. I mean, the main character, her
1: mother, was such a mensch about it so so during the middle of the show the sound just goes away and everything just keeps going like nothing happened until the end of the show is that what happened so like there were parts that were heard and there were
2: some parts that were not heard these were the microphones for the actresses so the dance music was fine the dances were all fine you know but the 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 microphones for a few of them Like the main character, her mic kept going out. So that's a big problem. And no one was able to go there and give her a different mic. They're wireless lavaliers, not like the handheld. I know. I don't think we were equipped, though we did have a lot of people on staff that knew what they were doing. I had two sound technicians also, now that I'm thinking about it, but... I don't know what the issue was. I think that they needed proper direction that they weren't given, that we're stopping the show now because this is not okay. And so that was a huge mistake, and I'm glad we rebounded.
1: It sounds, it sounds like, really tough, especially, yes, the girls, you know, invested so much into it. But I'm thinking to when I was a, a student in one of these groups, Part of what the training was: if something goes wrong, this is what we do. <laughs> Keep if going. you lose your if your ballet shoe falls off and starts flying around, or you lose your little handkerchief you're you're using. Exactly. This is what you do. If somebody falls down, this is what you do. <laughs> so that was part of the training. Also, I could just hear my mother saying, "It's not about the final performance. That's the bonus. You got a full year of training, experience, all your dance friends or acting friends." And and why should the studio suffer from that? I think we went totally off off course here. Yeah. But I'm just I'm just thinking, but people people who appreciate the arts,
2: they think that way. So I and that's something that I'm wondering if other dance studio owners And I think Rifka Nahari said she did struggle with this. Some people want to come because their friends are doing it or because it's cool or because it's something to do. Not everybody understands the arts and appreciates the arts. So people like that, of course, are going to be upset. The main character, she's a big supporter of the arts. Her daughter is like very professional. She was understanding. She was upset. But I think that that's an important piece. And like, I feel like I'm constantly trying to teach, you know, like even we sometimes will go on studio outings to see shows. Like I took my studio to see Annie. Um, we were doing Mary Poppins. So we went last year to see Mary Poppins and I try to teach them. We're going to a theater. Here's the etiquette. You dress nicely. You're not wearing like your jean skirt, slumpy. But I think that there's, a little bit of a not like people don't understand so much. So
1: I try and I think some people are people are getting it. So, yeah, that's just fascinating. I had no idea we'd go into this, but I I just couldn't listen to this and not put in my two cents into this. (laughs) So if there are any tips or things you've learned or things you'd like to say to anyone listening here, what what would you
2: like it to be? I would say that I'm really grateful that I'm able to do a labor of love and um, every day, like, you know, it's hard when you have a business, there's a lot of stuff that you have to deal with. Parents collecting payments, you know, all that really unfun stuff, you know, you know, but, but the fun stuff is like connecting with your students. Um, Seeing them thrive, seeing how dance gives them confidence, or even kids who are like struggling, you know, in different things. Like, we had some students, their mother passed away, you know, and we were their family. I feel like dance was there for them. Our community was there for them. It got them through, you know, or kids who are being bullied, or kids who can't do well in school, but like, they thrive in the studio. Like, so all of that inspires me. I have one more thing to add. So I, um, I, I started teaching it at school for kids with special needs and, um, it's beautiful. It's, um, it's amazing. Like I go in there and just to see what dance brings out in these kids, it's like, wow, you know, and that, also inspires me because like, no matter who it is, dance is like the universal language. It could be Hasidic girls who like have to dance in their uniforms with stockings on, you know, they can still dance and they can still express themselves and they can still feel good or a kid with special needs, or it's just, it's beautiful. Like it inspires me. Um, and let me see it's and another thing that is really important for, I think for a business owner is that it's really about the relationships that you build. And, you know, each of my students, and I thank God have taught probably hundreds of maybe a thousand students, maybe more, even every person is like important to me. I remember their names I remember like different things about them. If we bump into each other and they're like engaged, you know, like they know I care about them. They know that, you know, they're important to us. Um, I'll remember like how they were on in their performance. And I think that that's really important in business is to like, your customers should know they're important to you. And, um, and I'm, I'm grateful for the relationships. Like people invite me to their weddings, their bat mitzvahs. And I'm just like so happy to have that connection with them. Even though it was through my business, that's how we became friends. But,
1: you know, we are friends. We are like a family. Very true. That's beautiful. I read in the Entrepreneur Magazine a few weeks back about how your relationships and your network is your insurance policy. Oh, wow. And as you, you've you mentioned through this horrifying thing that happened (laughs) you survived well partly because of your relationships people who are understanding and forgiving and and the rebranding obviously i'm sure that had a lot to do with but also your perseverance and continuing but there is this aspect of you know the relationships you're not you're not going to go far if you burn every bridge as you go along you have to think about the bigger picture and about the long term when you're going along and sometimes compromising on your ego, on, on ego. the short term, <laughs> ego or short term yeah. goals, like breaking even this year or whatever your short term goal is, then understanding the bigger picture. And in the world of entrepreneurship, that's very much accepted that the first five years of a business, for example, at least. You shouldn't expect to make a profit necessarily, and that's normal. So that's a nice thing, and I'm happy you mentioned relationships, and and I love how you're creating a community also. Yeah,
2: and also I wanted to add, like, um, sometimes students will want to go try something else. So I've had that, you know. There's, like, a gymnastics... Um, So we have gymnastics, but there's like a real gym. We're not like set up as a gym. It's more like a mat class with some equipment. But I've had students that want to go there or like maybe go try out a different dance studio that's not Jewish. And I am always like happy, like I'm not insulted. I'm not like it's not competition. Like as long as you're dancing and because I feel like because I'm like that, people always end up coming back. Like I'll have someone who'll take a break for like four years and then like I'll get a text from them that they want to come back. And I think that that's something for business owners. Like it could be like insulting to like your ego, but like don't let it be. It's okay. It's okay. It's not if people will try other things and, um, and you should always leave the door open. It's always a good thing. Okay, so I just wanted to say thank you for what you do Um, and very inspired by what you're doing and bringing all these people on your show and spreading awareness about the arts um, and uh, giving women a voice, which is so important. Um, So thank you and keep up your amazing
1: work. Thank you, Sheila, for coming on and for everything you do. It's really been so fun, inspiring. I love how you love teaching and you love dance. So you have that combination. It wasn't a compromise, which is fun to hear because very often you hear like, oh, I would have loved to perform in a ballet company and work in a ballet company. But, you know, I'm from, so I have to teach. So you have that double passion going for you. Yeah. And where can people find you? So you can find us. We have a
2: website, a time, the number dot com. That's our website. Or you could find us on social media. Um, we have an Instagram account. I'm constantly posting on. It's um, a time for dance. It's all um, letters and spelled out. Um,
1: and thank you so much for having me. It's so nice having you. Thank you.
0: There is nothing more complete than a broken heart. Quote, Rabbi Nachman Breslov. I composed and dedicated a new song after experiencing a painful loss. In an interview with Miriam Grunhaus on this podcast, about a year ago, she introduced me to the concept of Kinzuki. Quote, in Japan, when pottery breaks, it is often restored with gold, accentuating the flaws and celebrating its imperfections. This makes the pottery more unique, beautiful, and strong. End quote. Miriam started a fashion line which reflects the philosophy of Kinzuki. Quote, We are each a unique work in progress and are beautiful not despite our circumstances, but because of them. End quote. I'm wearing the black dress from this fashion line in my music video to convey the journey of life. The gold lines are wrinkles, which reflects the passage of time, growth, wisdom, life, experience, pain, and challenge, and sometimes loss. I play a mother to little girl who grows up as the video progresses. We show the journey of life with the golden Kizuki lines representing age and beauty at the same time. I was inspired by Miriam to embrace my pain and turn it into strength. I chose the words of the prayer we recite every Friday during candle lighting as we enter into the Holy Sabbath. This song and this music helped me to heal my broken heart. Lighting candles on Friday night is the moment that I always feel deeply connected to God along with women all around the world as we pray to the one above for all our deepest wishes. The idea is we never stop praying. It can start with praying to have children, but to those blessed with children, the prayer does not end there. Mothers want their children to be healthy, to be good people, to learn Torah and practice good deeds. I hope this drama-filled short film brings to light the words of Vizikaini Ligadel Banim Uvnevanim, Anashma et Chinati Bischutsara Rachel Imotenu. So many feelings, so much love from so many women, yet so much resistance and shame. Dear woman, girl, sister, mother, grandmother, maybe even father and husband, I release this to you. If you go during Hanukkah to my website, franciscamusic.com slash free you can get a free download of my song Visit Katie, throughout Hanukkah as a gift for me to you and just an idea maybe make this your ringtone and then I'll be so happy next time I see you and I hear someone calling you thanks for sticking around and have a great Hanukkah next week we have no more silence and if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the show leave a good review share this podcast with your friends and we'll see you next time